This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another exciting night of NBA basketball. With the first pick, the Detroit Pistons select Cade Cunningham from Oklahoma State University. Chandler again. Oh, what a block by Max Seal! My goodness! The Pistons are digging in. They got the depth. They got the big men. They got the better basketball team. No doubt about it. There's Jaden playing the passing lane. Sky's a jam. Pistons fans, welcome back to another edition of the Palace of Pistons podcast, part of the Believe Network. I am your host, Mike Inguilano, and join me this week is special guest, return special guest, Tim Forkin. And of course, as always, we have Aaron Johnson as well. So two OGs and special guest, Tim Forkin. Fellas, how are you guys doing? Starting off uh, the new year with two L's uh, of different proportions. Um, Pistons did get their win, but uh, how are you guys feeling now that the streak is over and uh, we started... an like, uh, you know, a little new one there. Doing good. I mean, look, it's a pleasure to have Tim on. I don't know if I've had a chance to really pod with Tim outside of one short-lived POP After Dark episode. He's always been hopping on when I'm not able to to hop on the on the main show. So very excited to, to have Tim on here. And I know it's going to be a fun time. I was texting Tim earlier and told him he was going to have to play the role of Jasper this week. So uh, he's going to he's going to do his best, and we'll see where it takes us. Oh yeah, I've got a lot. It's it's pretty pretty hard bill to live up to, but no, Jasper does a great job. You guys do a great job, uh, and I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I think every time Tim's been the replacement for Aaron, um, so now now we have like the first time mix of Aaron and Tim, uh, both on the pod. Playing the role of Jasper, though, that's that's just too hard. That's you're you're well, making I, life more difficult. I also have a beautiful girlfriend, so I, I know him and I have a lot in common. <laughs> um, so so the uh, yeah, it shouldn't be that hard. I I have I have some Jasper esque uh, material in the chamber for today. Is it a Doc Rivers voice? No, it's not. It's not Daddy oh, Troy okay, either. Good. It's not Daddy Troy either. We got <laughs> we got we got something coming. Okay, well. Uh, before we get into the Pistons ended uh, ended ending up losing that overtime game against the Utah Jazz and starting a, a new two-game losing streak, uh, before we get to that, I'd like to thank our sponsor for this week's episode, and that is 
bet online with the NFL playoffs right around the corner and the NBA season in full swing. Bet online has you covered with all the up to the second odds, news and scores with additional odds, lines, trends and info on both desktop and mobile. You can access the world's best wagering information anytime. Head there today to in on the action. See all the updated odds and remember to use our promo code believe that's B-L-E-A-V to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use bet online. Again, that code is believe B-L-E-A-V to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use bet online. Bet online where the game starts. Is is the Pistons live win total line? Is it nine and a half now? Is it single digits? Uh, it was as of the last pod that Jasper and I did, uh, but because Bet Online took it off and then they brought it back, and I think it was nine and a half. Gosh, oh, I mean, I bet the under twenty seven and a half, so I'm I'm doing great there. But you're doing that's great. So, so demoralizing that in January the the win total for this team is expected to fall around ten, and and if you took the under on nine and a half. I don't think anyone could call you crazy. They have less wins than the Lions. Yikes. Mind-blowing stuff. <laughs> it is mind-blowing stuff. <laughs> um, I did use Bet Online for uh, betting on the Pistons' victory over the Toronto Raptors and ended up making some money. I did get in about eight minutes before OG Ananobi was traded, so that helped considerably, but... Definitely use our promo code if you plan on doing any sports betting. Uh, and we hope that, you, that you'll that you use a sponsor for this episode, and let's bet online. Um, guys, let's get into the end of the losing streak and the beginning of a new one. The Pistons ended their 28-game losing streak against those skeleton Toronto Raptors. Uh, Ananobi was traded, but R.J. Barrett, Manuel quickly were not available um, not to put a caveat on that victory, still a win no matter what. They followed it up, however, by being decimated by the Houston Rockets, and then they lost in overtime to the Jazz um, in a you know an interesting way. They had a season high in terms of points scored in a game, but they also gave up 150 plus to a Utah Jazz team that really isn't that good. They are pretty good at home. I was looking at some of their splits; they're a shockingly good home team. Uh, still could not get a win in a game that I think you probably should have gotten a win. There were some interesting oddities from Monty Williams in terms of lineups for that game. Um, but we'll go ahead and get into all of that. Let's start with the win against the Toronto Raptors on Saturday night, guys. It was a tight one, 129, 127. Anything you can take away from that win other than just getting a monkey off your back and, and trying to move forward. I know there were a lot of articles talking about corners being turned and morale changing, and I didn't necessarily buy any of that. It seemed like it was just going to happen eventually, and it ended up happening. And, you know, did anything really come from that win? Not sure yet. I think it's a little early still, but anything from that win that stuck out that matters, Tim? I, I it's more of the same like winning one game will never make me feel a certain way about an entire season unless it's like a, a playoff clinching win or something like the the idea that, that the team has turned a corner or has changed after one win obviously we've seen what they've done since 
I mean, Cade's been playing better lately. You love to see Bogey get hot. You love to see Burks be anything but a trash can lately. Um, I mean, Duran back and playing well, but none of that accounts for how many times the team turns the ball over, uh, how poor Isaiah Livers has been playing. Um, they can win a game and still have all of the same problems. So I don't necessarily take the stance that, uh, and, and I don't think any of us do, that the Pistons are have somehow gotten a monkey off their back. And it sure doesn't seem like they have by watching them. Yeah, I mean, winning a winning a game is great, <laughs> but it's it's a normal thing to do. Like, there's no reason to celebrate winning a regular season game, especially when it's come after 28 straight losses. Um, I mean, the bottom line is it's a horrible team. It's a horrible roster construction. The coaching job has been shoddy at best. And when you add all that together, it's your the results are 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 what they have been. Uh, Kate has been spectacular for the, for the past month or so. Uh, like you mentioned, Tim Bogdanovich shooting the ball better. Alec Burks has of late playing better. They've been better with Jaden Ivey on the court and starting rather than Killian Hayes. Shocker! Like how did we not know that? I don't understand how that took until January. Excuse me, December to figure that out. It's just crazy to me that it took that long when there's last year's footage and stats widely available. But uh, no, I, I mean, it was a good, like it was a win-win. The stars aligned for them with the OG trade happening and the Raptors being without uh, OG and Precious Achua and being down, you know, a couple guys. And the Pistons kind of had that game circled. Toronto was on a back-to-back and all of that. So it was the stars kind of aligned for Detroit and good on them for capitalizing on it. But then you get uh, a Houston team, which albeit they are good at home, uh, but you just get absolutely blown out of the water by them. And Cade has his worst game of the year. A lot of guys just play absolutely terrible. And then you go to Utah and you have a chance to win. You get into the final minutes of the game and everything seems to fall apart. as always does for Detroit. You end up forcing overtime. You get run off the court in overtime. And it just feels like, well, the start of the next losing streak is here. That's two. And you got to start looking at the schedule again to see, okay, when can Detroit maybe sneak away its next win? Like, can can they get one in San Antonio later uh, in the month? Or does it go past that? And, you know, that's the kind of stuff where it's like, we we I don't believe they've turned a corner of any sorts. They, they finally got a win. Shocker. That's what an NBA team is supposed to be able to do. Uh, you know, they should be doing at least 50% of the time. So, you know, no, no, uh, no corner turning here. Yeah, it's a monkey off their back, but now the fear is, how long does this next losing streak last? Well, let's let's talk about that Jazz game. I don't know what you could take out of the Houston game other than a, it's it's like a throw it in the trash and just move on to the next one. Let's talk about the Jazz game. Fourth quarter and overtime. The Pistons were in it in the fourth quarter. Really like the third quarter. It was it was a very good game. Arguably the best game of the year. I mean, all all things considered, the Burks heave at the end of the fourth was 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 just crazy. And he has been playing a lot better. He was nine of seventeen from the floor. It's hard to take him off the floor. Um, he finished with twenty seven points. We can talk about the rotation stuff, you know, in in any particular order. But just some oddities from Monty Williams. Isaiah Livers played forty forty minutes. He played. Technically 36 minutes. Marvin Bagley's out of the rotation. James Wiseman is is in. He played 16 minutes. Um, Asar Thompson continues to 
get fewer and fewer minutes. He was at 11 minutes. Killian Hayes got 13 minutes. Marcus Sasser's out of the rotation. Tim, when looking at, because it seems like, it seems like this was an avoidable loss if Monty Williams had any idea on what the rotation should be. It's like, I couldn't help but think this is like a Frankensteinian roster that's half young guys, half vets, and Monty just goes back to the vets. I, I get it's hard to go away from Burks when he's that hot. I understand that, but Bogdanovich playing 42 minutes when it's clear that you had guys available who could have soaked up some of that time, Asar Thompson for one, they went with Wiseman who, I mean, at this point could count as a vet for 16 minutes. What, what, what would you take out of that game in terms of the rotation stuff and would you do anything differently? Because to me, it seemed like a like a clear showing of Monty just seeing what sticks and going with it. Yeah, I I wish we were on like I wish I had my soundboard right here because I would start I would go one by one I'd say Asar Thompson playing how how many ten minutes I I would do um, James Wiseman playing more than zero minutes and I would do uh, Asar or um, Livers playing 40 minutes. That's just a big red no error button. I would push on that. Uh, it's it like those kinds of decisions over the course of a season lose a locker room and obviously lose you games. And one of like the the main points I come into like this question and, and the pod in general with is like this is the first time in my life where I think like all three of us most casual Pistons fans we know, the reporters and everyone else except for Monty Williams can like see, they can see like, oh, just don't play Wiseman, play Bagley instead, play Asar more, play Livers less. Uh, how about Jaden Ivey? He should be starting and playing. He is starting now. He should be playing a lot. Like this is the first time where I like we we've been unreasonable. I know. Aaron and I are younger than you, Mike. Like we grew up with some unreasonable Pistons takes. We've since grown into better ones. But this is the first time where it feels like everyone in my life like kind of knows what the Pistons should be doing, except for the Detroit Pistons, except for Monty Williams. And we'll talk about except for Troy Weaver later. Um, God, I wish I I would do everything I could to make $87 million and not do my job. I I I would do everything I possibly could because the last game you like. The Pistons somehow use their vets to 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 have it be a heartbreaker for the fact that they gave up 154, scored 148, and had crazy shot making for the first time. Like that's the first time they've had Cade, Bogey, Burks, all just doing crazy stuff for over 48 minutes. That hasn't happened this year, and it did. I I I run out of words to describe. And I have more money stuff we'll save for a little bit here, but like the, I run out of words to describe just how impactful these little decisions are. And then we see like after the game, Jaden Ivey's dad tweeting about like smartest man in the room, Ivy not really getting in from any of the fourth quarter or overtime. Um, there's, it sucks when you watch a game and all of the cool things that happen, like you're actually into a game and it's just mired by these little decisions that any of us at home could make. 
Yeah, I mean, it took Alec Burks having an incredibly hot shooting game, the half the the heave at the buzzer. It took Boyan just being unconscious from beyond the three-point line. And it took 31 points and 13 assists from Kate Cunningham to just be in that game against a not good Utah team. And I just look at the guys that are playing, and I look at someone like Marvin Bagley, who, like, is Marvin Bagley changing the record for this team? No. But for him, finally healthy, finally playing good basketball, even looking improved on the defensive side of the floor. And he loses his rotation spot to James Wiseman, who so clearly isn't an NBA player. That's the kind of stuff that I don't understand how that works in a locker room. You are financially committed to Bagley for another year. Wiseman will be a free agent at the end of this year and has no trade value. I just don't get that kind of decision-making. Marcus Sasser. You traded assets to get him. You traded assets to get the first-round pick that you used on this guard, a guard that is a, came into the league older, not a first-year, not a second-year college player, not that one-and-done that might take a little bit longer to be able to go out and play minutes for you. Like, you look at guys picked around where he was in the first round of the draft, you look at Denver and Julian Strother, you know, there's Brandon Pajemski and the Warriors. Like those guys taken that had played three, four years of college ball that were taken late in the first, they're playing and they're playing on really good teams. And Marcus Sasser can't get in over Killian Hayes, another guy that is not an NBA player. I just do not get it. Jaden Ivey last night. Not having a world beater of a game. Utah playing a very big lineup. Walker Kessler, Laurie Markinen, Simone Fontecchio, John Collins. Like, they had a lot of big guys out there. Uh, it was tough to put him on the court when you had to keep uh, Alec Burks in the way that he was shooting and playing, and obviously with Kate out there. So I'm not even going to to knock on that because I get that decision-making. But I I just don't understand the decision-making with rotations for this team. I mean, Isaiah Livers playing 40 minutes last night. And I, I honestly, you know, people texting in, in group chats or buddies texting uh, when, you know, late in the, the fourth, uh, Livers took a three-point shot. He, like, got the, got, got the ball, freaked out with it, took a three, it got blocked. And I had people texting me, like, what is he doing in the game? Like, he, he looks like he's afraid for his life. <laughs> and... I don't know what to say. Like it's year, it's year three for him. It's kind of sink or swim for him this year. We we said it going into the season. He's been injured, but there have been flashes. He's got to stay healthy and he's got to put it together this year. And he all of a sudden went from out of the rotation to playing forty minutes last night and playing key minutes late in the game. Whereas like Kevin Knox, as sad as it is to say, a guy that you picked up mid season might be their best option at the four spot right now. I, I just don't know. There's so many confusing things. And I, I'll still go back to the point that I said last week where, you know, I I don't think Monty has a great roster to work with. I get it's tough. And at some point, 
you can't just play the same 10 guys every night and lose the amount of games that you're losing and not make any changes and not give any of these other guys a chance. But like, maybe it needs to be Marcus Sasser that's getting the opportunity and Marvin Bagley that's getting the opportunity and not Killian Hayes and James Wiseman. It's, it's just insane to me. Uh, I, I think it's a lot, a lot of it has to fall on Troy Weaver that you look at this roster and I think the Pistons should be playing about seven guys a night right now, just by looking at who's on the team. But man, oh man, it's still, it drives me nuts seeing some of the rotation decisions from Monty Williams. And I think it certainly played a factor in the loss last night. I mean, Kevin Knox played 13 minutes. Asar Thompson's playing 11 minutes. Like if Thompson's going to play 11 minutes and Sasser can't get on the court, you got to, you got to get them some reps at some point, especially Asar Thompson, who's as young as he is. Like he needs to be playing organized basketball get him down to the G league, I guess, and, and, and let him get some running because I, if, if, James Wiseman's going to play more minutes than your your number five pick in the draft. I, I don't know what to say. I I really don't. Well, the most egregious thing to me is, okay, you gave up 154 points. And Isaiah Livers is not a world beater of a defender. And Monty breached defense. I mean, it's the, it's the reason that Jay Nivey couldn't crack the rotation early in the season. Preaches defense. In a game where you so clearly had no defense, neither team really did, to be honest. Why is Asar Thompson, you know, probably your best defender, getting 11 minutes when Isaiah Livers is getting more than triple that in crunch time? Why not throw Asar out there as just a high-energy, defensive-minded wing in a game where you so clearly needed something on the defensive end to get, you know, two stops and you win that game. 11 minutes is appalling. Less than Killian Hayes. I, 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 that's To me, that's the most egregious one because you so badly needed a little bit of defense late game and in overtime and just did not, did not go for that. I mean, even, even throughout the game, 154 points, you got to be bad the entire game on defense. And... 11 minutes for arguably your best defender is is an egregious oversight for Monty Williams to give minutes to Isaiah Livers instead. That's that's the that's the head scratcher for me. Well, I think big picture, how concerning is it that the number 5 pick in the draft isn't good enough to play 15 20 25 minutes on a 3 and 31 team. How concerning is that? that he's not trusted enough or not valued enough to be on the court and that there are guys that were picked up off the waiver wire a month into the season that are playing more than him. I just, it's concerning. And I'm not saying Asar Thompson has been lighting the world on fire on either end of the court lately, but he's got to be out there. You're, you won three games. You've, you've got to play your young guys. I, I don't, I don't know what to say. Maybe he doesn't play 30 minutes, but 11 minutes, 11 minutes, playing 25 minutes less than Isaiah Livers, playing less than Kevin Knox. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design, the kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. 
Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. I can't, I can't see how that's a winning recipe, long-term or short-term. Yeah, we need to... The, the Monty Williams stuff in-game, like, it's even more of a slap in the face when you hear and read the things that he says outside of the game to like justify these decisions like i i, I texted you guys both like we need to make like a compilation or like a monty williams quote tracker just to like have a place for all of the boneheaded things that he has said about these rotations and like about who he's playing i'll start with this one monty williams on starting isaiah livers and i'm taking these i'm taking these out of context like i'm not going to give you the full quote because I have a point to prove. Monty Williams on starting Isaiah Livers. That's who I am. What what does that mean? He he goes on to explain, like, I'm the type to shake things up, but that's who you are, putting a guy in in the starting lineup that has not done anything and playing him 40 minutes when you desperately need to keep winning games. I know we need wing-sized players, or the Pistons need wing-sized players out there. That That's fine. You have Kevin Knox, who... And Aaron, you said it before. It's a sad thing to say when you got to pick Knox over Livers. I'll, I'll give you some more from throughout the season. This is recent as well. It's tough to figure out how to play defense. It seems so. Um, after losing Isaiah Stewart, Williams said, now we're a bit undersized and getting beat on the glass. And then uh, separately on playing Wiseman over Bagley, it's hard to play three bigs. We've had better spacing with rim rolling bigs. How can both of those two things be true at the same time? You have... Isaiah Stewart, who is undersized, but you have we've had better spacing with rim rolling bigs, and you're not playing Bagley, but Bagley's better than Wiseman. He's a better rim rolling big than Wiseman, and both of them would be better out there if you want rim rolling bigs than Isaiah Stewart, who has played significantly more minutes. Um, there's some other ones in here. When Alec Burks was at the very depth of his cold streak, Monty Williams said, you're not just going to go away from a guy like Alec Burks because of the body of work he has in his career. I see the work every day. It might have been good to play Ivy in some of those games where Burks was really, really struggling. Um, going to injuries. Uh, this is November 16th, right before the Monty Morris uh, has is out for six to eight weeks report. Williams said Morris didn't practice today. Hopefully we can get him to ramp up soon. So he was expecting Monty Morris to like come back, and he didn't have any understanding that he wasn't coming back. Um, I mean, I, I could go pull up more, but the things that Monty Williams are, is saying at the podium are equally as terrible as what he's doing in the game. And you would think like, like very rarely do you see a coach, like explain how bad they are in the media. And he has been doing that. That, that goes back to my original point of like, I think he's trying to make $87 million by not working. I think maybe he wants to work from home. Maybe he wants to uh sit like get, get a, some sort of buyout like we're at the point where we like these are real questions like it we're not just being like fan brain here like this is a real question does he is he trying to get fired he like there's no way a coach who is as widely respected and i think was actually good in phoenix and new orleans and in okc for a little bit like He's actually a good coach. I, I, I actually I actually want to believe he's actually a good coach. But you can't tell me that he this isn't some scheme to get some of that eighty seven million dollars by not 
but like give me let me sign this contract and let me do everything i can to get out of it it's it's not just us locally that feel like we're banging our heads against the wall at some of these decisions being made by him and the rest of the coaching staff i mean he is as you said widely respected amongst the league amongst national writers and even they when they watch the pistons are saying you know that there's some you know interesting decisions and quotes like that from from these writers and reporters uh, about the decisions monty williams is making and like you said he was a good coach in phoenix he was a good coach in new orleans and it's just been a whirlwind of scratching your head at the decision making that has been going on since he became the pistons head coach i mean the the song and dance that that we've done killian hayes starting over Jaden ivy this team immediately looking better when they took isaiah stewart out of the starting lineup and going with a guy that could shoot the ball, just playing one big, how it opened up the paint, how the team started shooting better. Like, these were things that were known. It didn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that Kate Cunningham needed more spacing around him or that Jaden Ivey is a better basketball player than Killian Hayes or that Isaiah Stewart has never been nor will he ever be a starting level power forward in the NBA. So we're just, it feels like we're almost sort of repeating last year in the fact that we're trying to learn so much about these young guys that we already know. Like we know from last year, Isaiah Stewart at the four didn't work. And we know through the last three seasons of his career that Killian Hayes has never been good for an extended period of time. So I, I, I just don't get it. It's tough to say, to come on here and say, Monty Williams needs to be fired or anything like that. Like he did get a big contract because he, he has that reputation and that, uh, to use his words, body of work behind him that shows he can be successful and has, 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 has a successful, uh resume but i i can't look at what he's done and say you know part of the losing streak doesn't come down to coaching like it certainly absolutely does and it feels like we are from the outside seeing things that i, I don't understand how it's not being seen in the building more so than ever i feel like every year as people that aren't in the building every day that people that as people that aren't in the locker room we have these ideas and 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 thoughts that even if you know we think they're right we don't understand what's going on internally it just feels like this year some of the decision making is so off the wall is 12 months late and i i just i just i'm befuddled by it and i i don't know how it changes uh until i guess the roster gets a whole lot better yeah one of one more Monty quote that like fully wraps up everything that you just said. He, this is in training camp. He goes, and mind you, the Pistons take like, I think the least amount of threes in the league, if not, they're like close to it. And they certainly make the least in today's economy. I think a lot of guys are jacking up threes that they shouldn't take. 
What does Monty Williams care about the economy right now? He's making $87.5 million to be the most boneheaded coach in the league. And you said it, Aaron, like, we probably wouldn't have that many more wins if he was just, like, competent. The roster is bad. We'll certainly get into what we think the front office can do later. But you have to admit that, like, some of the win, like, maybe it's two, maybe it's four more wins could have happened over the that 30 games if he was just, like, making these decisions that we could all see. And to have a quote, he he told us what he was going to do in the very beginning. I think a lot of guys are jacking up threes they shouldn't take. Well, jacking up threes would be the only way this team could steal a win. And we almost, like, the Pistons almost did last night in Utah by jacking up a bunch of threes. So, yeah, I you said it perfectly, Aaron, and I'll add on with this. Like, I think Monty is, like, telling us what, like, <laughs> what his what his mission is every day and every decision. Uh, Tim, to answer your question, they're dead last in threes made per game in the league. And they're 27th overall in three-point percentage. Um, and I wanted to say the full quote from Monty because I just pulled it up on, on what he said yesterday about starting Isaiah Livers and that's who I am. I'm going to try to find something to get us going. I decided yesterday I didn't even think about it. That was Monty Williams on starting Isaiah Livers, finishing off with I didn't even think about it. Um. So I feel like we're just waiting for change to happen. Um, Tom Gores went out and said that change is is coming and soon. I don't know, you know, soon is a pretty relative term. The last ice age was, you know, not that long ago in the grand scheme of the world. Um, so soon is a relative term. But since Tom Gores went out and said that, the Knicks went out and acquired OG Ananobi, a player that was linked to Detroit in some capacity per the athletic He's staying in New York. His agent is Leon Rose's son. They they have a deal lined up, almost guaranteed. So what kind of change are we talking about? You know, is it going to be a move to get Kate a, a true sidekick? Is it going to be dipping into the pool of young players to go and get a, a you know an impact player this very second? Is it going to be just moving Joe Harris for something and? moving on from Bogdanovich, getting the vets out and forcing almost moneyballing Monty Williams into playing a Sar Thompson and Jane Ivy, just like how uh Billy Bean forced Carlos Pena out, sending him to Detroit in Moneyball. What what is this change gonna be? I mean, is it gonna be before the deadline? I think DeJounte Murray and that crop of guys become a trade available the ninth or maybe the fifth. Um, what, Aaron, what is, what is this, what is this move going to be if, if anything, and to what scale of change should the Pistons be looking at? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't honestly know. I mean, any move that they make right now is going to have to be so marginal that it's really not going to matter all that much. The first round pick for next year is tied up. They don't have a ton of other assets to work with in the short term right now outside of down the line first round picks, which I really don't think you should be trying to sell off of as a team with three wins in the middle of January. So I, I don't know what change is really coming until potentially the offseason 
where we're looking at a lowly regarded draft and a lowly regarded free agency class where, you know, if you look at the wing, which is probably where the Pistons are, are set to target help at uh, most earnestly right now, OG was, you know, arguably the biggest name. He's now off the market. You're talking about paying a 32-year-old Pascal Siakam, uh, Miles Bridges, or a 30-plus-year-old Tobias Harris. And, you know, I don't think any of those guys take this team that much closer to, to the playoffs or, or, or the play-in. Like, there's no star to get for this team. They can't trade for DeJounte Murray right now unless Atlanta really wants – Jaden Ivey and Isaiah Stewart and one down the line first round pick or something like that. There's, there's no, there's no fixing this season. This season is gone. It's forgotten. And it's it, the disaster that is this year is just going to have to continue. There's just no flexibility to make a, a big enough move. That's really going to, to change this right now. I mean, unless there's someone that just has absolutely no trade value that the Pistons are willing to take on and see what happens with a AKA Zach Levine. Like I, I just don't know how they realistically get all that much better. They need to make move. They need to get another wing, but it's just not going to be a guy that is all that talented. It's going to be a, a bench wing. Like, Maybe they go get a Royce O'Neal. Maybe they go get a Dorian Finney-Smith from Brooklyn. But feels like Brooklyn has those guys priced at a pretty high number. And, like, I'm not trading a future first-round pick for either of those guys. So I don't really know what, what Detroit does to get all that much better in the, in the short term. And with the free agency class and the draft class ahead, I'm really not sure how they get that much better this summer either. Yeah, there's – there's certainly a few players on the Pistons that other teams would want. Gade, Bogey, Ivy, probably Stewart, I think is actually almost like for sure. Duran. Um, but you you like Asar, like some team, like a, a younger team or like a team that like has a good shooting development program, like they would take a chance on Asar. But like if you're the 29 other teams and you have valuable players, you're not looking the Pistons like almost cannot be the best package for a team outside of like, like we mentioned, like a Zach Levine trade. And I'm, I'm looking at the list of the names that they've said and some other like wings, like you're not getting Jeremy Grant back. Like they, even if his contract isn't that great right now, it's going to be as the cap goes up and he is like of the perfect wing for a team that's trying to get better. Um, you're not getting Mikhail Bridges. Like he's going to be way too expensive. And the Pistons certainly, unless they're throwing one of their three best players or three best young players in it, like they're not getting him. Um, you're not getting Ingram or Zion. Uh, you're probably not getting Jalen Green or Tyler Hero, like that that scoring punch type. You mentioned Aaron DeJounte Murray's pretty hard to trade for. Um, this might be the last year of DeJounte Murray being pretty hard to trade for. And then like I I personally don't think like there's no way OG and Anobi and Siakam are were like actual targets for the Pistons. Like, there's no way that they thought they had the assets to go get them, unless they're trading Cade. Like, OG especially. Like, I find it very hard to believe that that was nothing more than like 
someone from the Pistons being like, hey, throw our name in the ring for these players that we're certainly not going to get. You might want OG or Siakam. You're not getting them. So some people want to date supermodels. They're probably not going to get them. So uh, Tobias Harris is the name on this list that whether it's this year or most certainly in the offseason, he seems like the name that could be a Piston, just familiar. I believe he has family or his wife or somebody is from here in his, in his family. Like uh, there's a, he's going to be cheaper than his 47 million price tag right now. If you get on expiring, you could send out Harris and Wiseman and basically just be there like the, for this season. But what, a, what do those two players help the Sixers? Like they, they could just keep Tobias Harris. Um, so yeah, I agree. You look down the list of players who uh, the Pistons might want or, might make sense and they all seem pretty lofty at this point i believe the last time i was on we we went through this list as well and like it's going to continue to be the question is is there a name we're not thinking is there someone available that like like mike for the Cavs that that donovan mitchell suddenly became available and you're able to trade for him but i don't know would, would the Cavs make that trade again like it seems like mitchell's on his way out and you got a good playoff year out of him but there's 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 consequences to trading for a player that doesn't want to be here. He who shall not be named, uh, Miles Bridges, also seems in this dystopian world we live in like a realistic target because what other team would be dumb enough to bring like to purposefully bring this guy in to your to your franchise? So so that's that's my final pick of who who they could like the change is coming and it happened to be probably one of the worst character people you can find in the league. Um, wouldn't put it past the Pistons to make that their big splashy move. I really hope that's not the big splashy move. Um, but I also don't really think there's a big splashy move to be had. I, I, Tim, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. The, the players that they're going after or, or, you know, have been theoretically linked to, there's no way that they could realistically get those without a first round pick without control of a first round pick this upcoming year. I find it impossible to get a, you know, an instant game changer that that would be the real change is figuring out a way to get your pick back from the Knicks. <laughs> that, that would be the big splash. Um, it's, it is probably going to be moving Burks for an asset. It's going to be moving Bogdanovich for an asset or two and forcing Monty to play some, of the younger guys and, and seeing what you have. I feel like every year now that we've done the podcast, at least six times in the last three years or whatever that we've been doing this, I keep saying that this is an evaluation year. See what you have, go into the offseason, put pl- put pieces around the players you know you aren't going to keep and build. And they're doing it again. They're going to have to do it again because um, the vets they have are, are just, it's just not working. Um, for one reason or another, to me that that change is going to probably be in the next couple of weeks, like two three weeks, that they send out Bogey for a pick and a player, send out Burks for you know two seconds or whatever it's going to be to make salaries match and and just put a Sar Thompson, pencil him in for twenty plus minutes a night, put Ivy in, pencil him in for twenty five plus minutes a night, and and see what you have with these guys and you know if an opportunity becomes available. Oh, and probably moving on from Joe Harris too, as, as another expiring, um, see what, you know, he can, he can provide. Cause he's another one. That's a coach's decision DMP. And 
I don't, I don't know what the expectations were for Joe Harris coming into the season, but they most certainly haven't even been close to being met. Um, I feel like we've said this the last three weeks, but change has to be coming sooner rather than later as the losses continue to pile up. I think they'll get a chance to get a win against the Spurs, but again, great. You're four and what? 36. Not a whole lot different from three and 37, <laughs> not dramatically. So a change has to happen. Do you guys, do either of you think that a front office shakeup is, is even within the realm of discussion? Not from what not we, during the season. Not from what we've heard, which is concerning because you want a guy that doesn't know where his job stands or or feels that his job is on the line. You want him running your trade deadline. You want him trying to send out young pieces and future picks to make a big trade. Like, do you want that to happen? That's scary to me. Like. You know, if they're if in, a, in a perfect world, the Pistons could move Bogdanovich and move Burks and get enough assets back to combine with guys like Jaden Ivey, Isaiah Stewart, Asar Thompson, and what the picks that they have to get a guy like Larry Markinen. Whatever that combination is, you know, you do it. You have Cade, and you have Markinen, and you have Duran, and you go from there. And but that's just it's just not something that feels realistic at this point. It feels like A, Utah values him very, very highly as they should. He's a really, really good player and you know, good contract. But I don't know how Troy Weaver makes this team all that much better without digging into the asset collection and making a risky move. And he might kind of have to do that in order to save his job. I mean, Troy Weaver can't do nothing at the deadline and expect to keep his job going into the off season. So you're in a, a lose, lose situation in the reality of, of it. Like you're either going to do nothing. And I guess maybe the win is that you move on from, from Troy Weaver in the summer or Troy is going to make a, try to make a big trade and there's going to be a lot of risk attached to it, whether it's the contract, whether it's the player, whether it's what's been shipped out, and you could be looking at it in the summer after the disaster of a season continues and be thinking, why the hell did we let that decision be made? So business aren't in a great spot as they haven't really been all year. Mike, I know you are, but Aaron, are you familiar with the movie Draft Day starring Kevin Costner? I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. All right. Well, there's I'm going to spoil a little bit of it for you in the audience, but there is a GM, ironically with the last name Weaver, who is under pressure to make a splashy big move and and save the Cleveland Browns organization, right? And on draft day, he is able to finagle his way to the first pick back to it, like the sixth pick and the seventh pick, and he's trading all these players and drafting all these guys. And basically, he creates a new foundation for the entire franchise in one draft day. And I think I'm proposing that... 2024, the movie Trade Deadline comes out. Instead of Sonny Weaver, it's Troy Weaver. And the only way the Pistons can save their franchise is if something so cinematic and storybook happens where Troy Weaver is able to, I mean, he is the 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 rookie GM, but like to pick on some rookie GM, get some crazy asset, turn it into something else, 
turn those two things that like what you just said end up with Laurie Market on the team. Like it, it's going to take some sort of uh, script writing or m- movie trick or cinematic effect to get the Pistons like a normal un- like a, in, back into normalcy in one like day in in one season. There's there's no realistic human way that Troy Weaver can get the Pistons to any sort of like separation between where they are now and like a positive future between now and the deadline now and the end of the season now and free agency and even free agency like I'm not sure what it's going to do it would take like I trust Kevin Costner to to get the Pistons out of this faster than I do Troy Weaver so Mike, you can add on to the to the analogy I'm making here. Uh, <laughs> the it it would take magic CGI. That's that's what it would take is like CGI generated players um, playing well in Pistons uniforms. Hey, if there's somebody uh, named Vontae Mack in this upcoming draft, then we have our storybook story <laughs> already yeah, writing we'll, itself. We'll figure out who the who the draft's Vontae Mack is. Yeah, I'm trying to think, exactly. is there like a, is there another big that, that we like, is there another <laughs> like big who's projected as like a second rounder that we can take first overall that will kick off this entire improbable um, change? Or, or is there, is there a, could we trade for Andre Drummond? Could he be the one to like oh. uh, start off the, start off the snowball effect that gets us Mikhail Bridges, Laurie Markin and somebody like that. There's already been a movie called Return of the King. So we have to pick a different name. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just it just doesn't seem feasible. It's it's like they almost have to lean into the bad, just accept it, trade your vets, and just be bad as young players, and just lose games and have Monty, you know, try to figure out what he did with the Phoenix Suns and all those young players and translate it to them. I I really I really don't know. Um, but standing pat at the deadline just can't happen. You you got to make the bare minimum moves to either send out your bad salaries to collect anything or acquire a couple more seconds and stockpile some seconds. You, they have to do something, but they, they they just don't have a big splash in them. I don't, I don't tra- think. They'll have to trade Bogdanovich to some team in exchange for them to like stock the plum market that's at the Pistons performance center like that's like it's something something yeah um Aaron any any thoughts here as as we finish off this episode of the podcast uh, the next couple of games are pretty tough for Detroit they will play the Golden State Warriors today for those of you who are listening tomorrow for us recording the podcast and then I believe they play the Nuggets and the Kings in some order yep yeah I'll be at the Kings game next Tuesday the is it the ninth something like that so the um, last name i'll bring up who is supposed to be a restricted free agent this summer and is playing a little bit better lately for the chicago bulls is troy's guy pat williams that's a guy that i could see detroit going after whether they do it in the trade market and, and try to get him now from chicago or they offer him a big sheet in the summer we know troy likes to go after the guys that he's reported to have liked and Williams was a big name for him in that 2021 class that he that Troy absolutely loved he loved that 2021 class so Pat Williams is another guy that 
I can see the Pistons going after it. It was 2020. So you're trying to tell me that Troy Weaver is going to trade for a reclamation project that he had a draft crush on that maybe he would have taken with the Pistons pick if they were available. Ah, it doesn't seem, really seem like something he would do. I, no. I'd, I'd never really, never really get that out of him. But now that you mention it, I, I may, maybe he would. I don't know. You don't really get the sense that he, you don't really get the sense that he hangs on to players that he's loved for a long time and doesn't really, doesn't really see them for what they are and, and still, still ends up acquiring players or believing in players that he, that he once loved. Um, I, I don't know. I don't really have a read on that. Um, how many is uh, James Wiseman going to go for in his revenge game against Gold State? 50. I mean, he's in the rotation, so you know he's getting those shots up. James Wiseman touches that ball. It's a good chance it's going off, whether it's a good shot or a bad shot or a travel or a three in the three in the key. It don't matter that that ball <laughs> going up. So he might he might get he might get 15. You 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 never know with him. Just it depends how many times he gets the ball passed to him. That's about as many shots as he'll have. <laughs> I will tell you, uh, I got a big so I've been sitting behind Troy Weaver for these games. Very uh, signature Tim Forkin thing to do, and uh, now I got it. We got a reaction out of Troy for yelling other things, but the thing that got the crowd really going was when I yelled. Well, there was a play. I believe it was the Brooklyn game where Jaden Ivey drove left to the rim and James Wiseman appeared out of thin air to block his like pathway to the rim. He just stepped in front of a drive of his own. Like, like he's sliding over and help for his own player. And as the crowd quieted down after yelling at him for doing that, I wow. yelled James Wiseman more like James dumb man. And I got the biggest groan out of the entire section 114. That's and terrible. I'm sitting close enough to Troy Weaver where he heard it and maybe he internalized that and maybe, maybe change is coming. <laughs> That's terrible. You deserve every groan and then some for that. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was good. I thought it was good. Just so everyone at home, the probably been to 10 games at this point, probably sat in section 114 for seven of them, maybe eight. And uh, the quote, that got Joe Weaver to turn around and yell at me and my friends was, hey, guys, don't worry about it. We're a fourth-quarter team. That was enough for him to, like, get up out of his chair a little bit and looking back and see who's yelling at him and and, and yell back. So that that was the quote, not, uh, hey, Troy, uh, hope you enjoy the construction company you're going to build with all these bricks or cancel the lease, Troy, or 62 <laughs> wins and 63 wins in four seasons, Troy. Or, um, uh, I mean, the things that we can't say on this podcast, like, uh, just find him in section 114. That's what we're, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't, I'm going to that Kings game as well. I'm, I am not in section 114. I'll actually be closer to the game than Trey Weaver is. I don't need to be closer to, 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 to actually see what's going on. So, um, <laughs> oh, God. Um, well, I'm glad at least that that you're finding some enjoyment out of out of this by being able to yell at Troy. Um, when we were at the game, I I, I did see him, but it, he didn't flinch for anything that either you or Vic was saying. No, we we were too far. We were we were too far. There, <laughs> if uh, I'm hesitant to give this out, but if you sit any row between ten and fifteen in section one fourteen, you've you've likely if he's there, you've got a you've got a you're an earshot of. Of the man who the architect of this the historic 
the architect of this historic franchise. You take that as you will. Yes, and interpret that however you'd like. Um, guys, if you know, if nothing else, if no other thoughts, then we can wrap up this edition of the podcast. Tim, since you're our guest, um, do you want to plug yourself in any way? Yeah, I, I've been on here before. I was at Tim Forkin NBA at one point. I was just at Tim Forkin. Uh, my sports burner, as I go into more personal business stuff, is my name backwards. So it's Mitt Nickroff. Uh, if if the kind friends at Palace of Pistons could tag that in the pod description, that would be helpful. Uh, as, I sure the the, as I look to build up the sports burner. I'm trying to separate uh, church and state here with the business stuff. Um, sure. And then also some exciting Palace of Pistons things we're working on in the background here uh, between the time this pod is out and maybe the next one. Yes, that's exciting. Ooh, a tease. Love a good, we love a good tease. We don't, there is no tease on this podcast. It's pretty much you are going to get what you're going to get. There, there, There's not a whole lot of surprise. Maybe Jasper does a funny impression. Yeah, I was going to say, like, we could start teasing, but it's not going to be the kind of teasing that anybody wants to see. So No, no. <laughs> There's not enough tags for that kind There's of teasing. There's a Jasper joke. Yeah, there there we go. We can end on a, on a Jasper joke. Okay, well, guys, thanks for joining me on this edition of the Palace Pistons podcast. Um, again, we'd like to thank our sponsor for this week's episode. That is Bet Online. You can use our promo code Believe B L E A V to get your fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use Bet Online. For my co-host Aaron Johnson and our special guest for the week, Tim Forkin, as he fist pumps in the air, I am Mike Angelano. Thank you so much for joining us on this edition of the Palace of Business Podcast, part of the Believe Network, and we will see you all next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.